Something bright white was gleaming on the ground. They inched closer. It was the unicorn, all right, and it was dead. Harry had never seen anything so beautiful and sad. Its long, slender legs were stuck out at odd angles where it had fallen, and its mane was spread pearly white on the dark leaves. Harry had taken one step toward it when a slithering sound made him freeze where he stood. A bush on the edge of the clearing quivered. Then, out of the shadows, a hooded figure came crawling across the ground like some stalking beast. Harry, Malfoy, and Fang stood transfixed. The cloaked figure reached the unicorn, lowered its head over the wound in the animal's side, and began to drink its blood. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the restricted section, in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we are talking about today. After forgetting the invisibility cloak at the top of the astronomy tower, Harry and Hermione have been caught roaming the school after dark. To make matters worse, Neville Longbottom is also caught, having snuck out to warn them about Malfoy, and the three of them lose Gryffindor House 50 points each. Several nights later, Harry, Hermione, Neville, and Malfoy serve out their detention in the Forbidden Forest, helping Hagrid search for an injured unicorn. After a cryptic chat with some centaurs, Harry and Malfoy are paired up, and soon discover the unicorn lying dead on the forest floor, with something, or someone, drinking its blood. Malfoy flees, and Harry is saved at the last moment by a young centaur named Ferenz. Ferenz reveals to Harry that the attempts to steal the Sorcerer's Stone may be part of a larger plot. A plot to return Voldemort to power, this time for good. Harry and Hermione return to the school to fill Ron in, and when at last he goes to bed, Harry discovers the invisibility cloak waiting for him, with a note pinned to it. Just in case. Hey everybody, how's it going? Hello. Not bad, not bad, not bad. Awesome. We've been talking to each other all day long because we work at the same company. It's not like I'm sick of you guys or anything. I love you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Excited to be here today. Let's do a little roll call. Also, tell me like, how would you feel about going into the Forbidden Forest? You know, just like, how would you feel about it? So I'm your host, Christina. And I would be pretty stoked, but only if I was with Hagrid, because I love being outside. I love the woods. Darkness is very scary to me. I'm very blind. And if Hagrid's there and I was just like, he's going to protect me, then I would fucking love it. And I would be on the hunt for some crazy magic birds, probably. Hey, guys, it's Grace. I would be absolutely terrified to go into the Forbidden Forest, even with Hagrid, and especially with Fang. (laughs) Yeah, Fang is very little use to anybody. I love him. Um, <laughs> he is a good boy. Yeah, he's a, he's good, a good boy. He's, he's not going to do shit for you in the forest, though. Um, it's true. Yeah. I'm Haley. Um, you could not pay me enough money to go into that forest, uh, provided that I knew uh, beforehand that it's full of giant spiders. Oh, um, about the spiders. Not Absolutely not. That is not happening ever. Um, 
this really just reinforces it, but the spiders are all I need. Yeah, in last week's episode, Grace and Brooke and I were talking about how the Forbidden Forest is just Hagrid's bag of holding for whenever he has a magical creature gone wrong. He just throws it in there, and it wasn't even forbidden until he put Aragog in there. And now it's deeply, deeply forbidden. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> oh, but it's, don't you want to see why it's forbidden? Not really. No. <laughs> I'm good. I'm curious like that. What are you drinking today, Haley? I am drinking Winking Owl Zinfandel, or as I like to call it, a liquid cry for help. Oh. Yeah. Do you need help? I mean, don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> Too true. Yep. Grace, what are you drinking? I am drinking an old classic, for me anyway, rum and Sprite. Nice. Very summery. Yeah. Yeah. I'm drinking Frontera brand Chardonnay. Do you say brand when it's wine? They're award-winning. How cheap is the wine? Oh my god, world's most admired wine brand. How much was it? 17, 18. This was like an 11 or $12 bottle. Okay. Damn. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, if it's really cheap wine, then yes, I would say brand. Like, Winking Owl brand, I will call it that. Oh yeah, that's true. Did I forget anything? Is that my, is that the whole intro? Do we get into it now? I think so. Yeah. Today we're talking about the Forbidden Forest. It is our first excursion into the Forbidden Forest, and it is very scary. Yep. Mm-hmm. Chapter starts out real scary with Professor McGonagall's wrath, which, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could not endure it. No, I have a distinct sense memory of, like, the first time my mom read this to me of, like, feeling like I was in trouble, like, to the point that I almost peed myself. Like, like you know that level of terror, like, I... Just the thought of her staring me down is enough to reduce me to quivering jelly. I just can't imagine McGonagall saying, I'm disgusted, and having those words being directed at me. Like, wow. Hermione had to hear that, dude. Like, Harry, whatever. Like, he gets used to it, but, like, Hermione. She yeah. just decided to be a little bit of a baddie baddie, like, a month and a half ago. <laughs> She's very She's new to it. And then there's Neville, dude. Oh, <laughs> so bad (laughs) he made a really bad choice he did oh no because if i were neville's like mom or older sister or something i would be like those kids don't give a fuck about you they're bad influences get better friends yeah even if it's like not true it is that's totally how it's seen there's no evidence that they give a shit about neville yeah like, he just gets involved in their adventures peripherally, and then bad things happen, and they're like, all right, well, we're not going to stop going on adventures, but Neville, please stay home. Yeah, he always makes it worse. He caused the ruckus in the trophy room during the, quote, midnight duel, if you'll remember, by just grabbing Ron because he was afraid, which I'm still upset about that. Yeah, no, Neville's a fucking liability. I'm sorry. Like, don't bring him along on your nocturnal adventures, he damn brought himself along. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And like, you know, McGonagall's just like, I literally have to get Neville in trouble now. Like, yeah, Neville has no this. chill. He like, he comes in real hot and he's like, I heard Malfoy saying he was going to catch you. He said you had a dra- He was about to say dragon out loud like that. I think he just is um, like blind fear in this moment and has no idea what's going on. Like, just belligerently afraid. So then she just looks at them and she says, explain yourselves. 
And it's in italics. She's in italics, man. She is so fucking pissed. They woke her up. It is 1 a.m. Yeah, I think... I kind of feel like she's overreacting a little bit. Maybe she's just trying to put some fear into their souls. Oh, no, she fully is. Because, like, at one point... Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? One second. To me, it was where she said, I've, I've never heard of such a thing before. Yes. Yes. I was yes. like... Because, like, this is the woman who taught James Potter, Sirius Black, Rena Lupin, and Peter Pettigrew. Like, of course yeah. you've heard of such a thing. You're just trying to, like, lay on the shame because you know that for two of these three kids, it's going to work. It's mm-hmm. true. And also, she... I think that she has gotten a good enough understanding of Harry's character by now, especially with the whole, like, troll ordeal... To know that if she's like, your father was the exact same way, Harry would be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm going <laughs> to do more of this, that tomfoolery. Yeah. yeah, but then fucking Dumbledore tells him anyway, so all of her good work is ruined. Yeah. Oh, she's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just so, it's like the whole thing's very upsetting. And, like, she says, I'm going to take 50 points from Gryffindor. And they're like, 50. And then it's like, each. <laughs> She's willing to nerf her own house that bad. Like, that's how pissed she is. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of trying to think if, you know, if they'd been brought to a different professor, which they wouldn't have been, but if they were, would another professor have been as harsh as McGonagall? And I kind of feel like she is, like, harsher than, than other professors would be. I feel like there's no way that Professor Sprout is like I feel like she is the kind of person who really likes teaching and sharing knowledge and there just happens to be a disciplinary aspect of her job that she prefers not to engage with you know what I mean I feel yeah. like she would be like oh god like uh, now I have to do a punishment for you guys like I guess come to the greenhouse and we'll plant stuff yeah. with thorns so you really learn your lesson with no magic yeah Nope, they got the short end of the stick on this one. And then yeah. who is the head of oh, Flitwick? Mm, I think Flitwick probably would be more... I think he would give a stern talking to, but I think his punishment would have been less. His, his punishment would have been less. The thing with Flitwick is that he wouldn't have been disgusted. He would have been disappointed. Oh, yeah, that's mm. true. It's, it's like... I think it's the same level of pain, but it hits different with Flitwick. Yeah. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. They wouldn't be as afraid as they are of McGonagall, and that would leave more room for, like, personal shame in their hearts, right, if it had been Flitwick. So maybe that would have done them some good. Because yeah. clearly the fear ultimately doesn't work. They're nuisances for their whole lives. I'm kind <laughs> of wondering what's uh, going on right now with Malfoy and Snape. Like, like yeah. talking to, does Malfoy get... Yeah, because in the movies, Malfoy's there with McGonagall, just smirking and, like, thinking he's not going to get in trouble either. Yeah. So, I think that Snape probably does a lot of, like, you are being, like, a nuisance to me personally. Like, like I'm your father's, like, old business friend. Like, is this a conversation that you want us to be having about, like, your petty misbehaving? Oh, I will be writing to your father. Like, that's how <laughs> Snape operates. <laughs> Oh my god, so then I go back to their dormitory, and Neville sobs into his pillow the whole night. It's just, like, so pathetic. Oh my god. Oh my god. Because the thing is that, like, when they're getting yelled at, 
and McGonagall's like, you did this to fuck Malfoy over, and then, like, Neville got caught up in it, and it's like, Harry tried to tell him without words that this wasn't true, um, but then, like, after they leave McGonagall, he never explains himself. Well, like, I don't know if it's ever even confirmed that, like, anyone ever finds out about the dragon part. I don't think anyone does, dude. Because, like, they yeah. never, because they, they have no excuse for being up the astronomy tower. Like, did, did McGonagall think that Harry and Hermione were making out, like, 11-year-old, like, weird sexual awakening? <laughs> like, what did they think they were doing up there? See, that's the thing is, like, when I misbehave, I said this in the last episode, like, I always have a plan. If you're going to do something like this, you have to know what you're going to say. If someone catches you, you, you can't come up with this kind of stuff on the spot. You have to know ahead of time. And I immediately, huh? They're still learning. They're babies. (laughs) Well, I immediately, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, I would be like, yeah, like Hermione and Ron got into a fight and we like had to get out of the common room and like take a walk. And it's like, it's like, yeah, we obviously still broke the rules, but that's like way better than what actually happened and way better than not even being able to explain yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, it's never really confirmed, but, like, Harry ever even tells Neville, like, look, there actually literally was a dragon. (laughs) I'm sorry, dude. The least you could do for Neville at this point is let him in on the story, because there's no way anyone's going to get in trouble for it now. Yeah, but also, can Neville keep his fucking mouth shut? That's true, too. Then they wake up the next morning, and overnight, (laughs) Gryffindor has lost 150 points, which I don't really know what percentage that was, but it's clear that it's not to be taken lightly. I mean, it puts them in last place, doesn't it? And Harry, for the first time of what is to become many, many times, experiences the crazy sensation of the entire school openly hating him. Yep, get used to that. Get used to that. Oh my god, remember how bad it is in the Goblet of Fire? Oh, it's terrible. They make make buttons. Yeah, yeah. And it's Hogwarts, so no one's going to fucking do anything about it. Yeah, they're just like, well, maybe you should be less believable. <laughs> God, everyone's so mad, and the Slytherins are thanking him. It's like the worst thing. Oh, <laughs> Poor Harry. I do it's, feel bad for him. Just to reiterate, the dragon was not Harry's problem. Yep. Let's go. Was- Let's get to Hagrid. He's coming up later. <laughs> he tries to resign from the Quidditch team, which... I don't even know how that helps things. I don't either. But the thing on this page that I love is is when Harry swears to himself that he's never going to meddle in things that aren't his business ever again. Uh, and I'm like, wow. And it's uh, like half a page later, and he's like already meddling. Yeah. It is literally like immediate, like the very next thing he does. Okay, he like he's like, I'm never going to meddle again. He tries to quit the Quidditch team. It doesn't work. And then he's like, well, better go meddle somewhere. <laughs> He hears Quirrell in a cra- classroom, and he, like, cannot yeah. stay away. He just can't not go. He goes yep. right to it, and then he's like, wait, wait, we're not supposed to do this. <laughs> not my business, not my problem. I see nothing, I hear nothing. He thinks Snape finally broke Quirrell. Yeah. And he freaks out about it. Yep. Snape's done it. His anti-dark force spell. It's funny because it's like, wow, they really don't know anything yet. Yeah, dang. Yeah, so they basically think this is it, and they're trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, Hermione says they should go to Dumbledore, but they're, they're not really quite at the go-to-Dumbledore phase of their schooling yet. There comes a time when they do go straight to Dumbledore, and this is not that time. 
<laughs> what I don't remember when it is, but I just got a flash of the scene where <laughs> maybe it's in Chamber of Secrets where Harry's like, I need to find Dumbledore right now. And then he is like, where, where do I go? Oh, God. And he just like yeah. runs around like a crazy person looking for what? I don't know. <laughs> well, I love how like whenever they do go to Dumbledore, like before things have gotten truly dire and Dumbledore inserts himself, Dumbledore's response is usually like, I'm handling it. And they're like, okay, but are you though? Like, yeah, which the is like majority of book five is like, hey, Dumbledore, I think something's going on. All right, noted. Are, are you gonna yeah. help? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, back, don't even back. talk to me about book five right now. <laughs> I can't. I can't deal with it. Uh, so, I mean, it's true. You can't go to Dumbledore. You got no proof. And I mean, I don't know, man. It's like. Tumbledore would be like, guys, like, can you not? You just got here, like, study for your exams. How do you, like, how do you even know about the three-headed dog or the stone of immortality hidden under the school? Like, you're 11. Yeah, I just don't think... They are 11. I just don't think that when I was 11, I would... I just... I've always been a very sure-of-myself kind of person, but I don't think I would have been so sure about something like this like i definitely had a very like the grown-ups are probably on this kind of mentality for everything including myself i'm like where am i supposed to be i don't know the girls probably got that <laughs> yeah i never felt like anything was like up to me to handle i'm like there's probably someone better equipped to do this than me for sure well yeah because you we weren't in an environment like hogwarts that's just like if you live you live like because that's how hogwarts works <laughs> Like, the adults are kind of there to make sure that you don't do anything flagrantly dangerous, but they're not going to stop you from, like, sneaking around or getting into plots. And there are plots. We never had plots. We never had, like, <laughs> fucking international, like, whatever going on. We never had, like, wizard Hitler trying to rise up in our high school. So, like, no, we never got involved in stuff like this. They do, and they have little to no adult supervision so yeah they start turning to mysteries because they're bored and then they end up being right <laughs> every time <laughs> i would be interested to hear the perspective of someone who has been to even like a muggle boarding school to see how that kind of responsibility gets shifted so they get a note from professor mcgonagall telling them that their detention will take place at 11 o'clock at night in it says meet mr filch in the entrance hall and Again, they're 11. 11 o'clock is really late to stay up, to start your night at 11. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff going on here because I also feel like this comes really late after the incident itself. Yeah, it's been like a week or two, hasn't it? Yeah, like it's been a while. Yeah. Like Honestly, Harry even forgets that he has been. Oh, yeah. yeah. Honestly, maybe they were waiting for a good opportunity to come up where, you know, Maybe Professor McGonagall is like, I want it to be something that will scare the shit out of them or something that will like feel like it's really big, even though it's not that big because they're 11 and I feel bad that I took 50 points from each of them because I was really angry and they woke me up and I was very sleepy. That's the only explanation I can think of for like this detention because for the rest of the series, with very few exceptions, detentions are like menial labor, like inside. Yeah, like, I'm definitely thinking mm -hmm. about um, when. 
Ron has to clean the trophy room, and then he barfs slugs all over a trophy and has to polish the fuck out of it. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of polishing trophies. There's a lot of cleaning bedpans, like really repetitive, safe shit. Maybe do this for like seventh years that have really fucked up. Like it seems weird that they're eleven <laughs> and this is their first detention. Is like go into the place that we told you to never go. And yeah, this like whatever it is that's taking down this powerful magical creature yes. in the dark. It is very in line with the way Hogwarts handles child safety and also child psychology. Like, don't go in here, but, like, you can go in here if you fuck shit up first. Also, Malfoy is out of bed being, like, Harry Potter's going to be here and he has a dragon. So there's a chance that McGonagall did go to Dumbledore and was like, we need to make sure Hagrid doesn't have a dragon. You know that he would probably do that. I think we all know that Hagrid would probably have a dragon. So let's just go make sure he doesn't have a dragon. And, you know, then we'll go from there. So now they're, they're like, okay, Hagrid's cool. He doesn't have a dragon. But did he recently have a dragon, though? Like, I, I, I'm still not fully convinced that at least, like, Dumbledore doesn't know about the dragon because... Like, first of all, that dragon was very, was getting big and was very destructive. There are suspicious scorch marks all over the place. And also, he's a fucking legilimen, so of course he can be like, Hagrid, did you or did you not have a dragon here until very recently? Wouldn't even lie. Hagrid would just be like, I did, in fact, have a dragon here recently, and I'm very sorry about that. I kind of forgot that Dumbledore is obviously legilimens. I mean, if it's Dumbledore, he's just going to tell him outright. Like, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, you're right. I would be like, what the fuck? They stay up all night. Yes, they do. Do they have class the next day? What day of the week is it? That's a good question. Let me see if it says. Um, I don't think it says. No, because they're just like studying nonstop. The days are blurring. Filch meets them in the entrance hall to take them down to Hagrid's hut. Also, I think just part of the grandeur, like McGonagall's like, I'm really going to scare the shit out of these kids. Filch, you walk them down to Hagrid's hut. <laughs> Tell them about Talk- the chains in your office. Yeah, the chains. Exactly. Very scary. He keeps them oiled, just in case. It's really... I know your life's been hard, Filch, but you don't make it easy. Let's put it that way. They get to Hagrid's house, and they're, they're relieved that it's Hagrid, which is so fucked up, because I'm personally livid with Hagrid right now. I, yeah, at no point are they mad at Hagrid. At no point do they ever again mention Norbert. They're with Hagrid this whole time, and Hagrid, he he does not say this to Harry and Hermione, but he does say it to Malfoy. He's like, you fucked up, and you have to pay the price. And I was like, Hagrid, you are the reason that all of this is happening. Yeah, Hagrid, you fucked up. I I can't believe it. He doesn't even mention it. I would at least speak. He's alone with Harry and Hermione. And he's not even like, hey, guys, thanks for getting me out of that pickle. Sorry, you're in detention now. We're going to try to make the most of it. That's why I sent Malfoy and Neville away so that we can just have a good time. I feel really bad. And I'm very grateful to you guys for your friendship. None of that. <clears throat> you guys got caught. So we're going to go I mean, to the woods now. set the tone for their whole like relationship with Hagrid going forward with like, him and his crazy schemes. Yes, definitely like, setting us up. With it. Like, every time he, he introduces them to something, like, deadly and horrible, they're like, oh, God, okay, only because we love you, but please don't do this again. And then he does it again. Yeah, yep. and again and again and again. 
Yep. Remember the blast ended screws? I do remember the blast ended screws. I was thinking about the blast ended screws specifically. I was thinking about them and Aragog and Grop. Yeah, Grop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One thing I thought was really funny in this chapter is that they keep talking about werewolves because I think it's the only magical creature that any of them know because they've only been mm-hmm. in school for eight months or whatever. So yeah. Malfoy's like, there's werewolves in there and they like latch onto it. <laughs> And it's like, what could be fucking up this unicorn? Werewolves? What's that sound? Is it a werewolf? <laughs> there will not be a werewolf in these woods for two more years. Nope. It's just giant spiders. It's just, just giant spiders. <laughs> and of giant spiders. And really dickish centaurs and Lord Voldemort. <laughs> After Hagrid yells at Malfoy and Malfoy wants to go with Fang. Why are they even splitting up? Like that's a great question. Split up, like truly. Like Hagrid says outright, like nothing's in these woods is going to hurt you as long as you're with me or Fang. And then immediately turns around when Malfoy says he wants to go with Fang and says like Fang is useless. Also, book two when they go in the woods and they follow the spiders to the bigger spiders, they've got Fang with them, and Fang does nothing. Definitely some Hagrid hubris here. Yeah. He is not a good, he's not a reliable narrator. He's not giving you good information about mythological creatures. He doesn't have a good he radar is for that kind of stuff. Safe. Like it's with, with Hagrid, it's an innocent until proven guilty thing. And with magical creatures, you cannot operate that way. I'm sorry. You really mm-hmm. can't. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So they split up presumably because he found a path of blood and it goes both ways presumably, and it's unicorn blood. It's silver, which is very cool. Kind of tragic, but pretty cool, too. Yeah. So presumably, they go in both directions that the blood trail goes in, and one of them is eventually going to run out of blood, and the other one is eventually going to get to the unicorn. Uh, Their goal is to put it out of its misery, and I guess not get eaten by the thing that fucked up the unicorn. Yeah. Like, truly, I, right here, Harry is like, could a werewolf be killing the unicorns? Not fast enough, said Hagrid. It's not easy to catch a unicorn. They're powerful, magical creatures. I've never known one to be hurt before. He's never, he's the gamekeeper of Hogwarts. He's never known a unicorn to be hurt before. Something in these woods is powerful enough to hurt a unicorn. And once again, I cannot stress this enough, you brought 11-year-olds out in the woods in the middle of the night to deal with it. Just make them clean. My thoughts exactly. For fuck's sake. Just the amount of direction that Hagrid is giving Harry and Hermione, like, he's like, get behind that tree and, like, that kind of thing. And then I'm thinking about, you know, Draco and Neville, and I'm like, Fang's not going to help them at all, man. He's not giving any instructions. Like, he's just chilling. And I'm like, all right, I guess we're all making some weird decisions tonight. That's fine. But who let Neville go with Draco? Hagrid did! <laughs> I just, like, as, as Harry or Hermione, like, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, I got you into trouble, this is my fault, you know, the, f- the fact that it's Hagrid's fault actually aside, I'd be like, it's my responsibility as your friend that you're in this mess, so, like, I'm not gonna make you go with Draco, like, I'll go with Draco so you can go with Hagrid and Hermione or whatever, that w- would definitely be my move. Yeah. And I don't like him, he's kind of- <laughs> Like, he and I fight specifically. Mm. So they just start walking. 
And Harry's like, is it a werewolf? Are there werewolves in here? <laughs> Dumbass. As you kind of mentioned earlier, Grace, Hagrid is like talking, walking and talking, and then it's like, get behind that tray! And then he seizes mm-hmm. them both, presumably in one hand, because the other hand has a crossbow in it, and shoves them to the side. I'm picturing in Mulan, you know, when Chan Po, like, picks up everyone and, like, walks with them. Like, my, my image is just, like, in one arm, like, he just grabs both of them and hoists them up. Like, they're tiny, he can do it. Yeah. I love it. I, lo- I, I do love in this chapter that Hagrid is in his element. For better or for worse, he's very confident. He knows what he's doing. Crossbow's kind of cool. Crossbows are very cool. Except mm-hmm. in the hands of Joffrey Baratheon. That was a pretty traumatizing scene. Yeah. Oh my god. But he's got the crossbow. He's listening. He's, he's, he, what I'm saying is he's gone full ranger mode. Yeah. Yeah. For, he's like looking at the, the way the leaves are broken. He's following the blood trail and he's yeah. listening. My young. Yeah, protecting the young. Exactly. But he's also kind of clearly on edge. He starts, like, after the, after, like, the weird noise comes and passes, like, he starts getting a little edgy. And he, I feel like he's like, I've been enough more than I can share. I should never have brought children into the Forbidden Forest. Fucking how about that, Hagrid? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, scary noise comes and passes. Um, and then something approaches. Clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop. <laughs> It's a centaur. wonder what that is. I fucking love the centaur so much. Yo, I forgot how funny they are. They're hilarious. Yeah. Here's a question. Do we ever get to see Luna Lovegood have a conversation with a centaur? Do we? Oh, man. Do I feel like Luna would be, she would be like full, like, wow, Mars is really bright tonight. <laughs> she would like stand there with them. Just, I feel like they would be like, this is a human of uncommon wisdom. Like, <laughs> no wonder you were sorted into Ravenclaw, not that we hold with such humanoid factionizing. That, that spiraled, that sentence really spiraled. So yeah, Centaur. Harry's never seen one before. He probably didn't realize they actually existed. I think there's probably a lot of that in Harry's first couple years of like, oh yeah, like I guess I knew centaurs are a thing. Kind of like we were talking about with the ghosts. Like, yeah, I guess I could have imagined that there might have been ghosts here, but, like, I just don't even know what to expect, really. Yeah. hmm And then there's probably other things where Harry's like, oh, like, do you guys have fairies here? And they're like, fucking idiot, there's no fairies here. That's made-up <laughs> nonsense. So it's Ronin, which is a color of horse, right? I mean, a roan is a col- color of horse. Roan. Okay. Run, yeah. run, run. Wow. Like, a chestnut horse is basically a roan horse. Now, like, horse, the, the horse internet is going to come after me. Like, actually, there's a slight distinction between chestnuts and roans. But anyway. Yeah, add us. Tell us about horses. <laughs> so, Hagrid, it's, this is such a funny conversation. Hagrid is, like, desperately trying. He literally is asking, like, have you seen anything sketchy? And they cannot answer that question. They're like, what is sketchy? Mars is unusually bright tonight. We've heard. So infuriating. Yes, it's so fucking funny because Hagrid is the most concrete, literal down-to-earth person. And you can definitely see the combination of his admiring them as a magical creature and being incredibly frustrated speaking with them as like a human. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Unusually, Brett. (laughs) 
<laughs> they don't even care about the unicorn. So Hagrid says he's never known one to get hurt, and it's very unusual for them to just die like that. And the like the the centaurs don't even seem to think that that's a big deal. But like they would know. But they're just like oh, like the moon, like Mars is like much crazier right now than this dead unicorn. I feel like this is almost them trying to answer his question. They're like, yeah, yeah, some fucked up stuff is going on. Mars is bright. And Hagrid's just like, he has no context for this. And they know that, and they're still not trying to offer any further information. Are you talking about, like, a Mars God of War, Legolas, a red sun rises type, like... I mean, like, a little bit. Like, I don't think it's related to mythology at all. I think it's just that, like in response to his question every single time they're both just saying like mars is bright what are you gonna do mars is bright <laughs> like yeah like what fucked up stuff is going on right now man it sucks like i can't help you we were not supposed to help you but it, it, there you go there's your answer man mars is bright tonight another centaur comes and like does not change the situation in the slightest <laughs> no he just says the same thing so the exact same shit. Uh, they're so just funny. Next to each other, staring up at the sky. <laughs> I don't know. I I definitely kind of thought that there's meaning behind what he's saying, what they are saying. Like they are answering his question in a way. I mean, I I did sort of buy into the whole Mars God of War situation that that could be here. I don't know if that's really what's happening, but I mean, this is kind of the start of a war. So interesting. Yeah, I'm the kind of person where I'm totally on Hagrid's side for five seconds. I'm like, can you guys just, like, I know you understand the words that I am saying. Like, give me a yes or no right now before I beat you down. I know, but I was like, centaurs are so smart. This is like some code, you know? This is not like an oath. Like, we find out in this whole conversation later in the chapter that, like, they've got this this, like, law amongst themselves that they can't interfere. So, like, this is the extent to which they're willing to interfere, to be like, shit's going down, man, I don't know. Yeah. This is their plausible deniability. Is that what you're saying to me? That they're like, I'm not saying that what you're looking for is, is weird tonight, but, like, there is weirdness tonight. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it kind of is. And, like, Florence kind of takes it one step further later in the chapter, but, like, that's, they're more wow. pure. Like, they're, this is as much as they are willing to divulge, and they think it should be more than enough. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, like I mean, that. I think it's something. I definitely think it's something. <laughs> <laughs> Mars is the brightest planet already. Is it Mars or is it Venus? Because Venus is always pretty bright. Oh, Oh, don't I think don't right. ever it's listen Venus. to me. I don't actually know things. <laughs> I mean, Force is discernibly red, but I think Venus is definitely the better one. So they leave the centaurs. Hagrid's really grumpy and on edge now because the centaurs have pissed him off. <laughs> and <laughs> they're deep mind centaurs. They know things, just don't let on much. Do you guys remember in The Order of the Phoenix? When the centaurs take Professor Umbridge away. Yes. So good. It's so good. There's so much happens in this series, truly. So many callbacks. Like, the centaurs are set up here in book one, and, like, they... It's like they divulge a little bit of, like, vital information. They kind of collect... uh, Connect that last dot, but, like, 
they didn't have to come back for the rest of the series, but they did. Mm-hmm. And they're very cool. Yeah. Uh, when Firenze gets his classroom, that's very cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is my actual dream. A, ha- a room in a castle that is a forest. A magical forest. That's like some peak magic shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So then they see red sparks in the air. And, <laughs> well, first of all, Hermione sees red sparks in the air. Don't know if Hagrid would have seen them on his own. He's very distracted. So then Hagrid says, you two wait here and disappears, which that is a nightmare. Just standing and waiting in like the pitch dark woods. That's a nightmare. I, I like felt this. You know what I mean? It says the both minutes both dragged by. Yeah. Because they, it was a while. They probably don't even feel like they can talk. They're like, is something out there? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. No, truly. Do they know Lumos yet? No, not they, really. They can't even light for themselves. I don't think so. Oh, poor babies. One thing I noticed throughout this chapter is we really don't get a lot of Hermione. I'm just like, I guess she was just so terrified that she like was just like overwhelmed with anxiety and like not talking very much. I think Hermione's just trying to get through this. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, before they actually got in here... I mean, obviously, we all think that this is a, a bit of an outrageous detention um, situation. But, you know, Hermione didn't question anything because she's like, we deserve this. We did something so bad. And yeah, like, this. like, she and Harry are on the same page about that, definitely. And, like, the only reason we're getting so much of Harry, besides the fact that he's the main character, is because of all the crazy shit that goes down as soon as he's separated from the right. city of Hagrid and Hermione. <laughs> Hermione's just a victim in this scene. Yeah. So then finally, Hagrid, Malfoy, Neville, and Fang come back. And they find Harry and Hermione, presumably still on the trail, right right where they left them. And um, Malfoy snuck up on Neville and scared him. And Neville sent up red sparks in an alarm. Little shit. It's just like, it's, it's kind of sad to me. Because I think in the beginning of this chapter, it was really clear that Draco Malfoy was scared out of his mind. And he decided to take that out on Neville by scaring Neville, which I guess helps him feel in control of the situation. So I feel like Malfoy just has like been raised in, the, in this family where he's like not allowed to be afraid and he has to act a certain way. And he's had a terrible example set for him. And now here he's in the forest and he's so scared and he doesn't know if he did bad or if he did good. So he might as well torment Neville. Yeah. All these poor children do like none of them are being cared for the way they need to be. Neville needs to be seeing the school counselor. I know that Hogwarts does not have one, but he needs to be seeing the school counselor. We said early in this episode, by we I mean me, the Hufflepuff, that Professor Sprout is really chill and understanding, and later Neville builds a really good relationship with her. Yeah. So, maybe she's, like, that person he's looking for who just, like, is there to listen. Mm -hmm. Thank God he has her, honestly. I know. He really, I mean, I think he would have been happier in Hufflepuff. (laughs) I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be in Gryffindor. We know he's brave, but I think he would have been a lot happier in Hufflepuff. That's all I'm saying. He just needs somewhere that he can thrive. Yeah. 
like a burn. Put him in the Hufflepuff common room. Give him a little water every once in a while. Tell him he's looking beautiful today. He's going to do great. Yes. Give him like a macrame <laughs> hanging like net. Oh, yeah. So comfy in here. That's, uh, that's Neville's like ideal life situation. <laughs> I have, I have self identified as a fern or a ficus on my occasions. <laughs> yeah, there are some parallels between you and Neville. <laughs> <laughs> You're very brave and you love your friends. And I have, and I have anxiety and I had a huge glow up from middle school. <laughs> hell yeah yeah nice (laughs) because Malfoy was being a dick to Neville Hagrid has the same idea that he should have already had at the beginning of this detention which is I'm going to send Harry with Draco because Harry can handle it and me and Neville and Hermione are going to go this way away from which he should be able to tell by now is away from the unicorn they've been following these trails (laughs) In two different directions for a long time. That is away from the unicorn. Yep. So Harry goes off with Malfoy, and they they don't argue. So that's nice. They're both really scared, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of like walking in silence together. Do you think Harry ever had like regrets going forward in life? That like God, I I had the perfect opportunity. I could have made it look like an accident. I could have gotten rid of Malfoy. <laughs> well, as we just said, they don't even know Lumos yet, so I'm not sure he could have. He could have just thrown him to the weird fucking thing eat, drinking the unicorn blood. He could have fucking thrown him down a ravine. Like, we don't know. <laughs> Wait, literally? Malfoy, Malfoy runs too fast for all that, okay? <laughs> Wait, literally? What do you think would have happened? if Harry chucked Malfoy headfirst into the cloaked figure. First of all, is it Quirrell under there, or is there some weird reverse blood drinking going on for it to get into Voldemort's mouth? Or, like, do you think Quirrell's one who has to drink the blood? That's an important distinction. Oh, I have no idea, but I thought, I don't know. I thought it was Quirrell drinking the blood. Yeah, but, like, why is he crawling? (laughs) I think Quirrell, I think it's Quirrell. I think that not to be super weird, but I think Voldemort's face is just a formality. I don't think any of those orifices work. You know? Mm-hmm. Good point. Like, what's it connected to? It's probably Quirrell under there. So what happens is, very Chuck Malfoy, this is not the synopsis, this is my dream, Chuck Malfoy straight into the cloak and figure to protect himself. <laughs> and, I mean, I think that Quirrell would just start screaming, right? Quirrell would be like, oh, Malfoy, what are you doing here? I think they would all start screaming. <laughs> so, wow, if only Harry had thought to do that. <laughs> That's why he's not in fucking Slytherin. That's why he's not Slytherin. Well, so, they- because you asked to be in Gryffindor. No, it's because you didn't have the cojones. <laughs> Straight at Lord Voldemort when you had the chance, you little shit. <laughs> they were right. He would have been great in Slytherin. <laughs> So, they do encounter a cloaked figure in the darkness. Wait, no. First, they encounter the unicorn. Yes. It was dead. Yep. That's a direct quote from the book. Soup's dead. (laughs) There was a cloaked figure, and I know the word is cloaked, 
there's just a couple words in the English language that just like go straight to Shakespeare for me and I don't know why. Fair enough. Yeah, this bitch is crawling in a cloak. I <laughs> don't imagine that's easy. Like, I just, if this is Quirrell, you can use your feet, bro. Like, why, why on all fours? I just have a lot of confusion about, like, okay, like, we're cops, we're unicorn cops, <laughs> and we're at the murder scene. <laughs> like, what happened? Like, has Quirrell been struggling to kill this unicorn for miles? Did, Did he, he shoot it and then it ran and he had to chase it? Yeah, like what, what, I mean, I'm guessing he used a spell of some kind, but like they're powerful magical creatures. Like wouldn't, it, it, are they sort of like giants where like spells would just bounce off of them? Or did he do like a persistence hunting thing? Like, you know how persistence hunting works? Like you, you injure your quarry and then you just like, at a very sedate pace until it tires itself out or like dies of blood loss, you just keep following it on foot. Like you don't even have to run. I guess if he used a spell, my question is like, why is it bleeding? I mean, he could have used like something a lot. I know that Sectumsempra is like a Snape specialty, like that. Something like that though. Yeah, like I'm sure there are other spells that can cause physical damage. So. But it like I bled just, a lot and like and like everywhere in different spots. So like, and like blood is the whole point. Yeah, right. Cons- exactly. Aren't they trying to conserve that? Yeah, exactly. Okay, here's what I'm imagining: Quirrell's standing in his office, looking out the window, having a mental conversation with Voldemort. Voldemort's like, "I'm getting a little thirsty. I need some unicorn blood. My face is having a hard time manifesting. <laughs> None of my orifices are working." <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're gazing out at the Forbidden Forest. And Quirrell sees a unicorn, and they're like, we're going to go get that unicorn. Quirrell puts on his cloak, walks down to the edge of the Forbidden Forest, and he sees the unicorn. And he he attacks it. He's like, he's like, ah, Sectumsempra, just because we don't know a better spell. He's like, fucking Sectumsempra. And you don't know, maybe Snape taught Voldemort that spell. It could be the very same spell. Not a great spell for conserving blood, but a great spell for taking down your victim. And then, Quirrell, being the oaf that he is, didn't catch the unicorn and didn't perform the spell well enough. The unicorn ran off, and they have been together chasing this unicorn for miles as it bleeds out, desperately stressing about how much blood it's losing because they need blood too. And Voldemort has been getting madder and madder, slowly taking over more and more of Quirrell's faculties until Quirrell can't even walk anymore and he's on the ground. And then the unicorn keels over. So it's probably a Saturday. So it's probably <laughs> <laughs> he- a Saturday situation. <laughs> What'd you say, Haley? Well, because he doesn't have to teach class, clearly, if he's doing this. <laughs> so, Christina, I love that theory and I'm totally behind everything you're saying, except I feel like Quirrell is not so much the willing party here because I feel like, you know, toward the beginning of the chapter, we're hearing Quirrell having this conversation and he's like struggling and stuff. And he says, no, no, not again, please. Maybe that's why he sucks at killing unicorns because he doesn't really want to. Yo, Harry got me, dude. 
Harry got me. How did he get you? I thought that was Snape. Oh. I literally had a brain fart and I was like, yeah, obviously Snape was in that classroom and Coral is finally admitting that he, whatever. Oh my God. Harry, Harry's propaganda <laughs> got me. Anti-Snape propaganda. <laughs> Because Hagrid does mention that he's found uh, at least one other unicorn uh, injured or dead, right? Doesn't he say like never in all my in all my years? Because <laughs> well, oh, like, second think- time in a week, but never he's never seen it before that. Yes, so like okay. something fucked up is definitely going on. He found one dead last Wednesday. I'd be interested to know what they were doing before that for sustenance. Pumpkin juice. <laughs> They have like a subscription box of unicorn blood. For those of you who are just a little bit clinging to life. A cursed life. A half life. life. So these, they see the cloaked figure. Malfoy screams. It, Malfoy let out a terrible scream and bolted. <laughs> Is Fang on a leash? Yeah. Nope. He's an off-leash dog. He just really feels that Malfoy's making the best decision in this moment. I don't blame him. Fang's a Slytherin too. Fang is not a Slytherin. How dare you? Fang is a Hufflepuff. All dogs are Hufflepuffs. No, a lot of them are Gryffindors too. Harry is literally rooted to the spot for fear. Like, he's so scared. He has the opposite reaction. He's going to stay right there. Yeah, I wonder if that's, like, a thing. Like, I wonder if that's, like, he's, like, in the presence for the first time. Like, can he feel it somehow? Or, like, is it just, like, fight or flight? Malfoy chose flight. Yeah, I, it seems like that. But then also his scar starts hurting and he doubles over. So, Yep, the first time. This is the first, like, big scar hurting moment. Curse of many. So, I mean, it, I think maybe it could be that his scar starts hurting before he even realizes it. And that's part of why he stays is because he's a little, like, um, dumbstruck by it. Have you guys ever gotten a migraine? Not really. I actually haven't. Haley, I know your mom gets migraines. My mom gets really fucked up migraines. I know. She's had one this week. I'm friends with her on Facebook. I hope she's feeling better. Yes. <laughs> it's like, like a headache is one thing. I, I used to have really terrible migraines and like a, like a headache is one thing you can, you can kind of like get through a headache, but I feel like a lot of the time Harry's scar is like a migraine and it's like, yeah, it's coming from my head. But, like, I can feel it in my whole body. And it just, like, kind of eclipses anything else that's going on in your body at that time. I feel like that's a good theory, like, in general for Harry's scar hurdy moments. I don't know if that's necessarily what's going on here, because, like, this kind of goes back to Harry being a child of trauma. Like, he has a very well-honed, like, understanding of when flight versus fight is going to work. Like, it's true. He that he, if he runs from Dudley, Dudley probably can't catch him. But if he runs from something adult-sized, like, it's just gonna be worse. And then a centaur comes. So, like, nothing happens, really. Like, the cloaked figure is sipping some blood, and Malfoy screams and runs, and Harry's scar hurts. So, like, really nothing, like, there's no, there's no conflict. Like, like nothing comes at him. Does it? It kind of approaches him. Came swiftly towards him. Okay, well, that's fucking scary, you. 
<laughs> and then the centaur comes. Thank God. It's yes. Spirens. He's the young, sexy, bad boy centaur. And like, he doesn't really, like, he doesn't really care about authority figures. And he doesn't really care about the oaths of the tribe the same way that mm -hmm. other ones do. Centaurs. Um, <clears throat> so he's like, I'm here to save you. Quick, get on my back. And Harry does, which, like, same. Like, <laughs> get me <laughs> out of here. Um, but before they can go anywhere, the other centaurs come, the ones we've already met tonight, Bane and Ronan. And then we get a lot of context clues, right? This is like a great scene. Oh my scene. god, so many context clues yeah. now that we know what's going to happen. Yeah, a, lo a lot of good context clues. So, oh my god, so much stuff. Yeah, so Bane, who is the Dom centaur, is like... <laughs> You have a fucking human on your back. Like, who do you think he is, basically? Like, like, who, like, what the fuck? And it's like, oh, this is like Potter. Like, this one's a Potter. And Bane is like, I don't give a fuck what kind of human it is. You're not a horse. And they're like, well, this human is like, I mean, he's a little bit important. So, like, I'm going to get him to save me. Mm -hmm. And then poor Ronan is just like, I think you guys are both making great points right now. <laughs> I feel like I'm Ronan. <laughs> yeah, you are a total Ronin. Haley? Yeah. You're a forens. Yeah. No, you're a Ronin too. No, you're a forens. Eh. I'll eh. be a forens. There you go. We don't know any Banes. No, not really. Brooke? Although for some reason I just got a picture of Brooke as a centaur. <laughs> right? Um, we need more female centaurs. I know why they don't yes. have them. It's because their tits would be out. I know that's like not great to draw or whatever, but like I'm gonna draw Brooke as a centaur with just tits everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> she deserves it. <laughs> Brooke comes galloping up and is like, You have a human on your back. Don't you know? Like, don't you have any self-respect at all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe, like, that's what it is. It's like the scathing voice he's using where I'm like, Brooke would do great in this role. Right. <laughs> I love this scene stylistically because, like, so much of this book has been, like, it's a fantasy, but it's, it's a modern fantasy. Like, it's from a modern kid's perspective. And this is, like, the modern kid perspective running up against, like, some real fantasy shit. They're talking about prophecies. They're talking about the stars. They're talking about, like, what's to come and all this cryptic nonsense. And he's just sitting there like, sure would love to know what's going on, guys. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. It's like the first time that Harry's been exposed to like old magic. Yeah. The centaurs are arguing and Harry, it's like so awkward. I don't Have you guys ever been in a situation before where people are arguing about you and you're not there? I mean, we're all children of divorce, so probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've been there. Harry's just like, uh, I'm trying my best. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on <laughs> Sorry. here. Sorry. <laughs> I'm 11. I'm yeah. just people tell me to do. Uh, <laughs> so Firenze eventually is like fuck you guys I'm, gonna, I'm like doing the right thing like I'm doing what I think is right and he takes off with Harry right and Harry finally feels free to ask some questions it's just funny because I mean Harry just really like his, his innocence is so evident in this book he is never asking the right questions he never mm -hmm is like making the most of his resources. He's like never doing 
the thing that he he by book five really i think is like when he becomes an adult as we all know for a variety of reasons like he starts to really figure out how to how to figure shit out but that sounded stupid but you know what i mean but like here he's like why is bane mad at you and it's like that's not really the most important question right now it really is so innocent because like like i said earlier you've got this really weird tone shift where suddenly harry is encountering like old magic like these creatures that understand things beyond his ken and then the tone shift goes right back to like harry's like you know your usual scheduled programming with harry harry didn't have a clue what was going on like so you get this very dramatic conversation about prophecy and shit and then it's like harry had followed none of this question of like why is bang bane mad at me what what did you just save me from what's going on there is for the record it says harry didn't have a clue what was going on yes (laughs) word for word oh my god this is so funny so one thing that i noticed in this conversation that I hadn't really realized before is is how much the centaurs know about like what's gonna happen. I know that they are stargazers and everything and and um fortune tellers I guess but um yeah when Bane is talking and he says um what is that to do with us centaurs are concerned with what has been foretold it is not our business to run around blah 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 blah. So like when I read that, I was like, okay, so they're, they're concerned with what's been foretold. So do they know that Harry is going to die in this very forest? And, and that Ferenz has just changed that from happening in that moment. But like now we know that that does actually ha- like happen seven years later. Grace, when you said in this very forest, I got such a chill down my spine. Somehow I had not made that connection. I, I, I definitely, I mean, I know he dies in the forest and I know we're in the forest right now, but they feel separate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. And wow. The quick, yeah. So that, that kind of changes this whole, this whole dynamic with the centaurs because Firenze says, do you realize who this is? This is the Potter boy. The quicker he leaves the forest, the better. Like, he's like, don't you know that he dies here? I'm trying to save his life. And Bane is basically saying, that's not our job. Wow. Yeah, he's like, don't. This is what happens like, when so, you have Ravenclaw episodes. But, like, they also know that, like, Harry's death is mixed up with a lot of shit that, like, doesn't go well for them because of Voldemort's whole, like, human and specifically wizard-centric uh, policy, basically. Like, so... Friends getting Harry out of there is in their own self-interest, but like they're still mad about that because they don't set themselves against the heavens. They're like, well, he's going to rise back to power and you can't stop that. Oh my God. But like, they're yeah. right. Oh my God. Oh my God, guys. <laughs> this book series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. But like, <sighs> damn, J.K. Rowling, dude. You, she did yeah. it, dude. Like, playing the long game. She wrote the ending first, right? Or, or like, at least yeah. she knew how it was going to end. I'm sure she, I'm sure, literally, here's what happened. She was like, wouldn't it be crazy if you could, like, break your soul into pieces and then, like, put, the, like, hide them places? And then she's like, what could even do that? Murder? Maybe murder? 
And then she's like, what if you accidentally do that by murdering someone who loves someone else? And then the person becomes a horcrux and then they have to kill themselves. Oh my God, I'm going to write this down. And that's how that started. (laughs) (laughs) Which like, great idea, JK Rowling, if you're out there. I mean, we're digging it. And have been for some time. (laughs) Yeah, we did a whole podcast about it. Yeah, right. It's ongoing. It's still happening. It's not a past tense situation. Wow. Where, where even are we? So, so Florence helps Harry figure out the Sorcerer's Stone plus no, no, Voldemort. That's, uh, well, that's next. Because they, they just left Bane and Ronan. So now yeah, they're, and they're talking. It's like, why is Bane so angry? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, it's okay, so it's, so Florence is actually, I mean, he's being a teacher here. Because he's not giving Harry any answers. He is helping Harry get the answers himself. Also, he might be bound by some kind of crazy magical oath that prevents him from giving Harry the answers. Well, like you said earlier, I think, Christina, that like Harry's whole issue in this book is that he's not asking the right questions. And Ferenc just asks the right questions. Yeah. Like, here are it's the true. Right questions. Think about it. And Harry's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Harry's like, what is that thing? And Ferenc comes back with, do you know what unicorn blood is used for? Yeah. And then Harry's like, who would be that desperate, right? Be to oh, have life, a curse life, you know, et cetera. Um, Harry's like, who would be that desperate? And then Ferenc says, do you know what is hidden in this school at this very moment, which is, a great leap of faith in an 11-year-old. Why should he know that? He must have seen it in the stars that Harry would know that. <clears throat> okay, we, we've talked before about how Harry has, like, a great, like, conversational out of being like, my parents are dead. Uh, like, that, like, I don't want to talk to you. My parents are dead. Like, why did I do this? My parents are dead. For friends, it's like, I saw it in the stars. Like, why were you saying that thing? Oh, like, I saw it in the stars. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that to people. The perfect excuse, as the stars foretold. Um, literally, we, <laughs> I think you literally said, as the prophecy foretold in an actual work conversation, literally today. I think if you did, what were we talking about? We talk about a lot of things. As we've said before, Grace Haley and I are literally talking nonstop all day long. Yep. So, the Sorcerer's Stone, of course. The Elixir of Life. So, like, we get there. Harry gets there. Yeah. <laughs> can you think of nobody who has waited many years during their debate? Ferenz is like, I feel like Ferenz walks away from this conversation being like, yeah, I do have what it takes to be a teacher. Like, it doesn't matter how dumb the kid is. Like, I can help them. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my CV. So, oh, wow. There's Hermione and Hagrid and Neville. Thank God we found them. Safe. Mm-hmm. And Harry gets off Ferenz. Ferenz goes back to his friends to fight about it? Yeah. We don't know. I, guess um, they, I think they fight kind of like Holt and Kevin from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, hmm, we are in disagreement. You'll have to excuse me. I'm sorry, you have to see that vicious fight. He said, you'll have to excuse me instead of please excuse me. May as well spit in my face. <laughs> <laughs> so, great. Detention's over. We found the unicorn. Good job. Um, it's like dawn. They go back. Wait, 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 wait. How'd they find Malfoy? I think Malfoy ran all the way to Hagrid and Hermione and Neville. I don't know how Malfoy found them, but I guess he did. Maybe he put up red sparks. 
Maybe. Like, Probably, after- and then what's and then like raise the alarm, and so they they've been like panically looking for Harry this whole time. Yeah. Malfoy would totally run until he felt safe, and then put up red sparks, and then get safe, and then be like, "All right, let, now let's go find Harry." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So dick. Hermione was running towards them. Well, mine says towards because it's a British edition. I know. I hate uh, that. With them. I know. Agrid uh, down the path. Right. So they were actively looking for him. Yeah. It doesn't specify that Neville's there even. So I guess Malfoy is just present. They go back to the school and they go back to their common room and Ron's asleep. He shouted something about Quidditch fouls. I love the continuity of these small details. Ron talks in his sleep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, mm-hmm. it happens throughout. It happens, like, once every other book. Plus, they always seem to wait up for each other when, like, one of them has detention and the others don't. They always wait up for each other in the common room. Which is adorable and, like, such a high school thing. I would never. (laughs) So right. So cute. I am going to bed. (laughs) And they wake him up and they tell him everything. I mean, I would be really afraid. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to go to sleep. Yeah, this is, like, the first of, I think, many of Harry's, like, I just figured it out rants. Like, the fucked up oh God. Eve from Blue's Clues, like, figures out Blue's Clues. <laughs> he's in a thinking chair, and he thinks, 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 and he's like, oh, God, Voldemort's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's so true. It's, like, sad because we know how much there is still yet to come, but Harry is like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> He's like, this is as bad as it gets. Voldemort is thinking about maybe coming back. And it's yeah, like, like he, he's like, this is a nightmare. And it's like, oh, buddy. Yeah, in the course of the past, like, eight months, he found out that his parents did not die accidentally. They were actively murdered for political reasons. And the guy who did it kind of died, but not really. And now he might be coming back to finish the job. And Harry is woefully, un- like, he knows just enough magic to know that he cannot defend himself. Haley, it's really interesting that you used the word political. They, like, they were murdered for political reasons because that's completely true. But also, I've never thought of it that way. Well, because it's very much wrapped up in the prophecy and, like, the magic stuff. But, like, yeah. what, what is this if not, like, magic politics? I think that yeah. I would go a step further and call it terrorism. Yes. But, you know, I think Voldemort would probably call it politics, right? And that's how he's going to get elected. <laughs> let's move on yeah. so we're almost there we're almost at the end so harry is having as you so poignantly put it Haley, and i figured it out rant right mm-hmm. he's figuring it out he's reeling from the events of the night you know voldemort's here he's drinking this unicorn blood and he's trying to get the sorcerer's stone which is you know completely right good job yeah harry is going on feverishly i that's a direct quote. I did not just make that up. He's going on feverishly with his his revelation about what's going on. Um, I feel he doesn't have enough proof. The fact that I know he's right doesn't change that feeling, but that's all right. And Hermione points out, Dumbledore's the only one you know who was ever afraid of. With Dumbledore around, you know who won't touch you. And who says the centaurs are right? Because as we know from later books, Hermione does not subscribe to that kind of magic. Well, Professor McGonagall says that's a very imprecise branch of magic. Yeah. So then the sun rises 
they go to bed exhausted. And when Harry pulls back the sheets of his bed, he finds his invisibility cloak folded neatly underneath him with a note pinned to it that reads, just in case. But Can we talk about Dumbledore right now? <sighs> so Dumbledore, wait. So Dumbledore found the invisibility cloak. Wait, wait. So, so McGonagall went to Dumbledore and was like, Malfoy said Hagrid had a dragon. You know, Hagrid had some issues in the past. I think we should look into it. Dumbledore went to Hagrid. He was like, Hagrid, did you have a dragon in this house? As we've discussed, Hagrid was like, yes, I'm so sorry. It's gone now. I handled it. Don't worry about it. Dumbledore was like, cool, 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 cool. But he's reading Hagrid's mind. And he's like, oh, my God, I sent those kids to the top of the tallest tower in their invisibility cloak in the middle of the night. And Dumbledore was like, cool. That's what I would have done. (laughs) (laughs) Because nobody gives a shit about child endangerment. And then he goes to the, the highest room in the tallest tower and he gets the invisibility cloak and gives it back when yeah. Harry lost it like two months after you gave it to him. Everybody gets one. <laughs> I've mentioned before that I think Dumbledore giving Harry the invisibility cloak was a test and Harry's being monitored. And Dumbledore is like, all right, you lost it. Let that be a lesson to you. Also, your traumatic experience in the Forbidden Forest, let that also be a lesson to you. Here it is. Don't lose it again. And does he? Does he lose it again? He actively hides it in book three. I don't think he ever loses it again. I think he, like, stashes it. He stashes it. So that he won't get caught by Snape um, after he was fucking with (gasps) Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle in Hogsmeade. He leaves it in the humpback witch statue. Yep. I mean, it's just like we haven't gotten the chance to see a lot of Dumbledore and his decisions so far are are, are like weird for like someone who's in charge of the care of minors. They're not that weird if you take into account the fact that as we have established, wizards don't give a shit about child endangerment. You're right. You're right. Dumbledore's just poking him with a stick being like, are you the chosen one? Yeah, Yeah, it's just all a test, an elaborate test. When does it stop being a test? When Dumbledore fucking dies. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's a test the whole time. <laughs> and then after he dies, it's the final exam. Wow. That's a great place to end this chapter. Yep. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Owen Wilson meme. Wow. <laughs> So let's do a little bit of listener shout out, or as Brooke likes to call it, Owl Mail, which is admittedly a much more colorful name. Today's listener shout out comes from Joey. Joey sent us an email. As a reminder, you can email us at restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. We love to hear your thoughts. Joey says, hi, Restricted Section crew. My name is Joey, and I've been listening to the podcast for a while now. I love the podcast. It's really fun and interesting to hear the way different people look at the story. I just finished the last episode and decided it was the right time to email all of you. I needed to tell you how much I enjoy the show, but also to say that Christina and Mary Clay are dead wrong about Snape. Sure, he is a jerk and a pretty gross person, but he ended up sacrificing himself to defeat Voldemort. Plus, he took the time to give Harry the memories that showed he cared about Harry, even if it was in a warped and misguided way. 
I think Andrew is right that he is a sad guy that doesn't know how to connect with people, but he did the right thing. He treats Harry so differently from even other Gryffindors, not just because he is James' son, but also because he is Lily's son. The only way Snape knows how to show his care for Harry as Lily's son is to hold him to an impossibly high standard, which he thinks someone who is Lily's child should be able to reach. When Harry can't hit these impossible expectations, it proves, in quotes, to Snape that Harry is, in fact, more like James. Anyways, that's my two cents. Love the podcast. Hope you all have a great day. That's a pretty powerful argument. I had not thought of it that way. I still think Snape is a fucking dick. I do too. (laughs) But I think you make a great point, Joey, that Snape is trying to suss out if he's more of a Lily or a James. But the reality is that he's equal parts both, and that's what makes him awesome. And I think, I think that no matter what, Snape will always see the James in him, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's hard to miss. Wow. Thanks so much for that email, Joey. You know, all your emails give us some really important stuff to think about. Definitely email us, restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram at restrictedsectionpod. Hit us up on Twitter at restrictedpod. Let's go into some plugs. Haley, do you want to go first? Nope, you're always bad at that. Grace, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. This week, I would like to shamelessly plug my boyfriend's Etsy account. He's been getting into painting miniatures. So um, he's got trolls. He's got wizards. He's got halflings. If you're into any of that, take a look at Paint by Tux on Etsy and get you some stuff. I I love your boyfriend. I hope that's not weird. He's such a good <laughs> <No>. soul. <laughs> Haley? If you, like me, have been suffering in quarantine from the limitation of your options on seeking out pork fried rice, as I believe we all have, I have a secret to impart to you all. The meat that they generally use in pork fried rice in Chinese restaurants is rib meat. That's how you get it right. Wow. (laughs) Chinese takeout style ribs marinated in hoisin sauce, five spice, and soy sauce, and some other shit. And then you make it, and then you cut it up, and then you put it in the fried rice. That has been my mission for quarantine, is to perfect pork fried rice in the home and I finally did it and I'm really proud of myself guys but that's the secret oh my god I love our plugs because usually people plug themselves or like plug something they're working on but it's like we just plug like general like stuff to make your life better <laughs> I, I'm trying to do a public service here man you know it's I, I, I'm just thinking about the listeners <laughs> I'm gonna plug something this week that's a little different from my usual plugs I'm going to plug my Zumba instructor. (laughs) I do Zumba locally here in Richmond with an instructor that I love. And since we've all been in self-isolation, she's been doing remote classes that are so fun. It's Dance Fitness with Slonda and it's S-C-L-O-N-D-A. And you can find her on Facebook. That's how you can follow her and find out about her classes. She does two to three classes a week. It's really cheap. It's really fun. Even when I don't feel like working out because I'm like deep in quarantine blues, like as soon as I get started, I'm so into it because it's just really fun. So I got to warn you guys, it's a little bit sexy. So if you want to experiment with some sexy dance moves in the privacy of your own living room with only your cats to bear witness, dance fitness with Salonda. She's a Zumba queen. 
I never know how to end these episodes anymore. We only have two chapters left in this book, which is crazy. I'm going to pump us up. The next chapter is Through the Trap Door. Yo. What? what? That episode is going to be a Mary versus Mary. I want to see how they stack up against each other. (laughs) And then the last chapter of the book is The Man with Two Faces. So, spoiler alert. I think we all know what happens in that chapter. Yep. And, and that's the end of the book. So um, go, um, go, the, go the fuck to sleep. Get, get, the, get the fuck out of this podcast call. Cool. Wash your fucking hands. There you go. That is the end of this episode. That's where I'll end this episode. Nice. Good one, guys. <laughs> yeah. The Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod or shoot us an email at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. So yeah, a centaur, a regular centaur with a horse body and a human torso. I have recently listened to a podcast that featured a reverse centaur. It is not the same. (laughs) Whoa. That is a horrifying thought. (laughs) (laughs) It's Bojack Horseman. What are you talking about? No, I'm I'm picturing like, like a human body with like then the head and front quarters of a horse. Because you need the arms too. You're completely right. To keep up with your front legs. <laughs> For the love of God, share with us your reverse center fan art. Please. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>